Hello and welcome to the first episode of Followers, Discussions for the Modern Day Disciple. I'm Scott Thornton and we're excited to embark on a series of conversations around what it means to be a Christ follower today. Each episode I'll be chatting with different friends and guests as we explore the purpose, opportunity and challenges of following Jesus in the 21st century. Today's conversation is with a great friend of mine, Joel Holm. Joel works with churches all around the world, providing great insight into culture, leadership, and a healthy, growing faith. In today's discussion, we're exploring the call Jesus puts to all of us to follow Him. We're gonna demystify the title and the purpose of a disciple. Let's dive right into today's conversation. Hey, I'm so excited today to be sitting down talking with my great friend, Joel Holm. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm glad to be here. How long have you been journeying with life for now? Oh, wow. Almost 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. How long Which is amazing considering I'm 32 years old. 12 years old. Yeah, yeah you had a lot to offer at 12. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. awesome. Um, Joel, you have done a lot of journey with life over the years. There's been a lot of iterations uh, through our church. But right now, uh, our focus is discipleship. Yeah. We're talking about all things discipleship, which... I think is more than just a hot topic globally. I think it's on the heart of God. Would you agree with that in terms of uh, there are there are seasons of of church life where there seems to be these hot topics, these kind of global focuses yeah. that people jump on board. But this seems to be a real God breathed thing. I think if you define it correctly, then you can say, yeah, God's thumbprint is on this. Discipleship is a word that has been around for 2000 years. Uh -huh. And if it's incorrectly defined, everybody's got who's been in church has some context, some history with it. But if you define it correctly, Jesus said, come follow me. Uh -huh. If that's your core of your definition, then especially coming out of the global pandemic yep. and now kind of a globalized world on the ugly side. Yep. And people are looking for, OK, where do I find identity? Where do I find hope? And Jesus says, come follow me. Yep. That seems to be the heartbeat of God. Yeah. And. I mean, the the definition thing is so crucial. Our journey here, we've been on this journey for, I don't know, maybe somewhere between kind of eight and 15 months of having this real focus of, we feel like as a church, God has called us to be a church of disciples. But I think we've, uh, you since the, the inception of this conversation, the start of this journey, your big encouragement to us has been, don't jump into programming too early. Let yourself go through this whole process yeah. of really wrestling with this thing. Uh, and probably the definition piece has been a crucial piece, right? Because we've got people in on our staff and in our church that, like you say, have been around church for years. Yeah. You say the word disciple yeah. and so many connotations. And I think it's, it is... Uh important to understand it because there is an enemy who will take anything and twist it. Uh -huh. So if you think about asking the average everyday Christian, hey, what does a disciple look like? And they're yeah. going to go, well, they read their Bible and they pray and they share Jesus with other people. And that person has now given a clear description of a Pharisee who read their Bible, right. prayed more than any of us pray, says, Bible says they walked, they went across the oceans to win one convert. But undoubtedly a disciple is not a Pharisee. So that definition doesn't work. And so we've got to be really intentional and prayerful about how we define what we're talking about when we're talking about discipleship. And at the core of it is what is your relationship with Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? That ultimately for every individual is the definition, the working definition of what it means to be a disciple. Would it be accurate to say 
it's discovering the who of the disciple because out of the who becomes a commitment to man i may oh yes i need to pray yeah. yes i need to fast i mean all the spiritual disciplines do are really crucial need to fast i hate fasting can we like eliminate that one or is that still in the mix do you fast i do just not happily <laughs> <laughs> i i to, would, to your point I really think it continues to go back to you have to define yourself by somebody else, Jesus. You have to be yeah, able great. to define yourself by great. somebody else. Who is Jesus to me? Yep. That answer defines how you see discipleship. So your simple definition of a disciple would be a follower of Christ. Yes. If you were to boil it down to its, 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 its purest, simplest I think one of the most critical passages that define discipleship, when Jesus said, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me. Yep. I'll give you rest. And then he says, learn from me. And he says, take my yoke upon you. So he adds to it some layers. It's not just coming to me so you don't have to worry about life. Yep. But it's growing. Learn from me. Yep. Understanding who he is and what that means and how that affects my life. But it's also doing, take my yoke. I'm going to join Jesus in his mission, in his purpose. Yep. So there is purpose to it. There's identity to it. But at the end of the day, it is responding to Jesus's words and how you respond to that. And I think the enemy works overtime to get us to define discipleship by religion, by commitment, by spiritual habits, by many things that are good. But at the end of the day, you're, you're a disciple because of who Jesus is and what he invites you to. So here at Life, we have adopted three very clear phrases to define probably to unpack the follower of Jesus come to me and 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 for us a disciple is someone who is with Jesus yeah. they have a relationship with him it's not observatory it's not because my family's Christian it's as I have a commitment to be with Jesus where's my regular rhythm of a heart connection mm -hmm. with him uh, to become like Jesus which is the that's the transformation piece. It's not out of, and it's not become like Jesus first. It's very clearly be with Jesus first. Because out of being with him, I become like him. And out of becoming like him, I have this commitment to do what Jesus did in terms of take on this, this kingdom commitment of my life is not my own. Yeah. My life is about others. Yeah. Um, what, what would you think about those three statements in terms of, Giving, giving some 21st century application right. to, to okay, come to Jesus. Well, what does that look like? How do I? I think they work. I'm not sure I would see them as sequential. It's like when you're married. You get yep. married, and do I need a relationship with my wife? Absolutely. Should I let my wife influence me? Absolutely. Should we do something together, build a family? Absolutely. It's not so much we say, okay, during one to five years of marriage, we're going to just get to know each other. Then during the five, ten years of marriage, we'll let each other influence each other. And then it kind of all melds itself together. And the reason why I prefer to have it meld together, because at the end of the day, Jesus leads the relationship. Yes. And if he wants me to hang with him for yep. a season, I hang with him. If I, hand, I raise my hand and become a Christ follower, and the next day he goes, I want you to go to your neighbor yep. and build the kingdom, I'm going to do that. Yep. And I think we have to recognize that not only is discipleship relationship, but we're not the architect behind the relationship. Yeah. He's the architect behind the relationship. Yep. He, he's the lead dancer. We follow him. And I'm that, I think, is it's, it's a kind of this mysterious, joyful dance we do with the Lord. Yeah. So it's all, it's all kind of 
it's it's all part of it. every stage. There's all different. Yeah. I mean, I get the language, and yeah. the language always helps. But at the end of the day, it's kind of this mystery. Yep. And it's kind of this unique, intriguing relationship. And it's, it is an adventure. It's like, okay, let's go on an adventure with the Lord, and He gets to lead, and we'll yep. see where it takes us and what yep. happens. And when He says, you know, you've been made free because of Christ, there's an enormous freedom when you just go. This is an adventure. I've already got the gold medal. Yeah. I'm just now on the journey. Yeah. And that's grace and that's freedom. So that's why I think it's important to to be careful that we don't uh, overstructure our definitions. It puts us in control. Tell me what I need to do to follow Jesus. Yeah, listen to him. That's what you need to do. Yep. Can we not use the word dance, though? <laughs> I, I, you hate fasting. I hate dancing. That's what it is. I can tell you most people hate it when you dance, Scott. <laughs> So particularly okay. my wife so we're good we're good um so going on from that conversation then that where the original pattern of discipleship uh from a from a jewish 21st century uh, sorry from a first century jew point of view and the way we see jesus call his disciples was he would interrupt their life with mm-hmm. a come follow me yeah. fisherman carpenters like they they would just be going about their life come follow me and in those days it was it was one of the highest honors of a jewish boy to be approached by a rabbi yeah to say come follow me and that come follow me was a come and learn my worldview how i interpret scriptures how i have relationship it's literally emulating the person Fast forward, we're in the we're, we're in 2022, and we are wrestling with and contending for a lifestyle of a disciple. Come follow me. Mm. I don't know about you, I can't just leave my life and spend every day following a rabbi. Yeah. However, my heart is that in every area of my life, yes. I'm following him, doing exactly what we just talked about, listening to him, letting him take the lead. So what? What does it look like to take a first century principle of a rabbi calling a disciple and apply it in a 21st century reality of, I can't just leave, I've got a mortgage, I've got a rent to pay, I've got kids to raise, I've got, you know, like. I think, Scott, you've identified where sometimes we look at it wrong. So when I talk to a lot of people, they have a, a priority list, family, vocation, career, whatever it may be, and then somewhere in that is Jesus. And they get this revelation that I am a follower of Christ, and Jesus needs to be a priority. So they put Jesus as number one. But the problem is, is that they actually haven't changed the paradigm. They've just put him at the top of the list. And then they try to figure out, okay, if Christ is one, how do I then navigate two through five? Well, how do I navigate my family, my career, things like that? And how does that work? When sometimes they interpret it, well, if I give the Lord 15 minutes every Monday morning or every Tuesday morning, then I've done one. Then I can go on to two through five. Or if I give some money. And the Lord actually teaches it really clearly through the first century model applied today is there is no list. Yeah. There is no one through ten. Yep. In a sense, there's one and there's nothing else. Yep. And so if you think of uh, stacks and you've got your career, and you have your family, and you have people, and you have significance, and things like that, and then you have Christ on top of the stack. It's like Christ just pierces his way through everything, so that when I'm in my vocation, how does my vocation honor God? My work is my worship. 
when I'm with my family? How does my family become a reflection of my following of Jesus? And you've got to figure out, and Scripture gives us a lot of guidance, how Jesus invades every dimension of my life. So he's not a bolt-on, yep. and he's not just a priority. He is actually literally Lord over every dimension of my life. And then that is he becomes reflected. Now, just like the disciples who left their boats and followed him, I can fully follow him while I'm at work. I can fully follow him when I'm playing with my kids. I can fully follow yep. him in my marriage. And I think that's the difference. Jesus isn't number one out of ten items. He's the only one. And he in, in, involves himself in every area. I love the scripture where the Apostle Paul says uh, that I would, I pray that you would bear fruit in every good work. And I think one of the challenges that we have in Christianity, because life, today's life is so full. There's so many voices, so many noises, so many things vying for our time uh, that an easy way to get through that is to do exactly what you've just said is to prioritize stuff. So yeah. if I've got this list of however many things, if I prioritize it, yeah. then it helps me feel like I'm, I'm putting my energy into the most important things. There you go, God, family, church, work, whatever it is. I think the challenge with that is the minute you set up a priority list, you set the things up to be with, uh, to war against each other. Right. Because what happens when my family needs a little bit more of my time, yeah. then all of a sudden I am ripping off something else to give it to that. But I love what you've just said. It's not a priority list. It's him through all of it. Well, and you also miss out on how much you can flourish in your career, how much you can flourish when Christ is in that. And again, Scripture gives us all kinds of instructions. When you're at work, you work with integrity. You work with the values that reflect the kingdom, and then God's going to bless that. People are an enormous part of how we express our following Jesus, how we treat people, yep. kindness, compassion, speaking the truth and love. So, and that's why it's, you know, studying the Scriptures is a lifelong pursuit to learn how do I live out a relationship with Jesus in all these spheres of my life, if you will. Yep. I guess that, that leads us on to probably something else I'd love to chat about today is when you look at the Bible, when you look at the story of the disciples, um, you look at, if we look at the 12 that followed Jesus, now he had so many more followers than that, but the disciples that followed Jesus, the 12, there's this radical conversion. They go from fishermen uh, which in the day a fisherman wasn't exactly a uh, well-spoken honed so there's this picture of come follow me and they spend the next three years of their life being shaped honed and molded by jesus you know today we make a decision i still have to go to work tomorrow and navigate that so my my changing to become like the one I'm following yeah. is not done in the context of those following him alone, but man, I'm doing it in front of my workmates, my schoolmates, my yeah. university mates, my talk to me, talk to me about your experience of someone wanting desperately to represent. You said, man, when I go to work, scripture has so yeah. many patterns of when I go to work, do it with integrity. Yeah. Yeah, but it may take me five years to get that. Like, what's that? Yeah, you know, the, the three years, if you look at the three years really accurately, what you said is true. There's another dimension to it, too. They spent three years fighting. They literally fought the Lord. Yep. 
They disagreed with him. They disobeyed him. They questioned him. They challenged him. John the Baptist sends his followers to go, okay, are you really the guy? I'm not sure if you're the guy because I was expecting this, and now I'm seeing this. Are you really the guy? Peter argued with them all the time. They failed all the time. Following Jesus is a battle. It's a fight in many ways, and life is the best laboratory to figure stuff out on. So we have this idea, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus. It's almost like we move away into some monastery for three years, wear robes and hum songs, and then we come out and we kind of float with a golden halo kind of. No, you just, you do life and you do life in a way with Jesus where you are fighting with him and you're arguing with him and you're wrestling with this stuff to figure stuff out. And you can do that because the relationship with Jesus is based on grace. I am not afraid of asking Jesus hard questions. And if you live out your life following Jesus, you will have hard questions. Why did this happen? Okay, I worked with integrity, and somebody else got the promotion above me because they found out I was a Christian. Why did that happen, God? And you get these hard questions, and that's a laboratory to really hone your faith, hone your commitment. So I think when we look at the disciples in the first century, we have to remember these three years were for me, fun, but it was a lot of uh, intense battling. It was not just this, oh, I'm here, Jesus, whatever you say, however you do it, stuff like that. And that's why we do it in life. That's why we do it with family. We do it at our workplace because that's where we learn all the best lessons. And again, because of grace, we can do that. Yep. We, can, we can ask God hard questions that sometimes we don't even necessarily have an answer for, but his presence is more important than even the answer. So as, as someone who is committed to being a follower of Christ and I'm going through these battles, I'm fighting with God, I'm fighting with my own past, my own thoughts, I'm, I'm journeying through this process of truly letting him take the lead in every area. Yeah. It's one thing to do it in the context of others who are doing the same thing. But we've got a church and a generation and a world full of people who they're first generation Christians. Yeah. They have to go home to their parents who don't understand a thing, a spouse, a child, a sibling who doesn't understand the decision they've made. And I think that there can become this huge pressure of I'm following Christ. I need to have this radical transformation to show what a follower is to those around me. Because uh, the word hypocrite or I don't want to become a blockage in someone else discovering the same Jesus I've discovered. I the, you, where do you think that pressure comes from? You say there's this huge pressure on them. Where do you think that pressure is coming from? I think it's not coming from the Lord. Not at all. But where is it coming from? I think it comes from one or two places. Right. I think it comes from if someone's had a previous church background, yeah. it comes from religion. Yeah. Uh, secondly, more than ever in a world that is driven by media and social media and people's comments and opinions and uh, the church is under this scrutiny mm. to do stuff right. The minute the church puts a step out, then there is people that have all sorts of comp. You should know better. You should do better. Yeah, you should yeah. be better because they don't understand this concept of we're a work in progress. Yeah. Being a disciple is not perfection. It's man, I am. I am fighting yeah. to your words. I am fighting yeah. towards what Jesus wants me to be. So how do I, particularly probably for people who are younger, yeah. they, they want to see their, their they want to see their family saved. They want to see their family encounter the same Christ they've encountered. Yeah. And they probably put this pressure on themselves. And because I, I think it's important, first of all, to know there shouldn't be any pressure. There is, 
but that pressure doesn't come from Christ and doesn't come from your decision. It may be coming from outside, it may be coming from inside, but it's not meant to be part of the design, this kind of pressure. There's these two dimensions of people. There are the dimensions of people who are in your world, your family, your coworkers, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They will measure you not by the stereotypical idea of a church. They'll measure you by your behavior, by your words. Then there's this other dimension of the masses of society who are under an evil influence. And no matter what we do, they're going to measure the church in a less than positive way. Yep. But you have an opportunity to live out your faith with the relationships that are in your world. And I think you got to be careful not to confuse those two groupings of people. I cannot control what society thinks about me as a Christian. But I surely have an influence in the, my world, my friends, my family, my coworkers, by how I live out my life with them. That's where my focus becomes. But I think it's very important to be self-aware if you feel a pressure to perform or a pressure to hide as a Christ follower because that will lead you down some really dangerous paths. And you've got to unpack where is this pressure coming from? For some people, it may be coming from the church. I feel like, oh, now that I have decided to become a Christian, I have to behave in this way. Uh -huh. No, that's not actually not true. Is there behavior patterns for Christians? Absolutely. But that is not the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. So I, that's why I think it's really important. When you ever feel that kind of pressure, man, you gotta, you got to figure that out. And you got to get somebody to help you figure that out so that you are free in following Jesus. Uh, knowing, yeah, there'll be people who will always misinterpret me. My wife misinterprets me. Understandably. Such is life. It's understandable. Such is life. <laughs> I do think that part of this whole discipleship element is bring the joy back to faith. Yes. It's just bring the joy back to faith. Yep. Can we just smile and yep. laugh? The, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And there are lots of Christians, and they are trying their best to honor God. They're just not very happy about yep. it. And the world looks at us, and if they don't see the joy in light of a really crappy world we live in, yep. then there's not much of a witness. So let, let me ask you this question then. You have one or two years on me. Um, are you talking about age? Yep, age. Oh, yeah. Thank and you, even, thank and you for that gracious comment. And even, <laughs> and even your journey with Christ, your, you uh, grew up in a home that had parents who were Christ-loving People. Yeah, so your journey has been a bit different than me. Uh, we got to bring the joy back to Christianity. Real talk. Has that always been your reality? Or have you had to fight for that? Like, is has there always been a joy in your following of Jesus? No. Or did you come to a point where you had to intentionally shift that? Yeah. Uh, when I first started out, because I went pretty quickly as a young person into ministry. And when I went into ministry, there was not a lot of joy because I had made a big mistake that a lot of Christians make. There's this great passage where Paul says, uh, he uses oftentimes in the New Testament, he talks about evil desires. The, world doesn't, the word doesn't actually mean evil, it means mega desires. So when you have a mega desire, something you worship, gotcha. that thing controls you. Yep. And so ultimately we're supposed to worship Christ, we're created to worship. But what happens is as Christians, we have Christ, we don't reject Christ, we just add to Christ. And I added to Christ my significance by serving God. That will give me life. That will give me meaning. Yes, Christ saved me, but look, I'm a pastor. Now I have meaning. Now I have purpose. It was a mega desire. Uh -huh. And the enemy just messed with me. All the joy was gone because Christ wasn't my only desire. Significance was also a desire. And that messes you up. And the joy is robbed because when Christ is your only desire, 
then there's an enormous freedom. You know what? I can be a pastor. I can be a plumber. It doesn't matter. I have Christ. And there's an enormous joy. And there's a freedom in that. The key is, since we were created to worship, you can't conquer those desires. You have to replace them. Because there's always going to be a desire because we were created to worship. Yep. And you replace it with Christ. So you've got to get to a place where Jesus alone is enough. Where I may never be asked to be on a podcast. I may never preach on a platform. That's okay. I've got Jesus. Then you really begin to have a freedom and a joy. And, and that sounds like a great place to be. However, I, I'm guessing that it was a fight to get to that point. Like, like whether, oh, it's whether still it's, a fight. Right? That's <laughs> the, this side of eternity, that's discipleship. A journey to get to a place where Jesus is. That's a great definition. What is discipleship? This side of eternity, a journey to get to a place where Jesus is enough. Full stop. Good. You need to hold that so we can write it down later. <laughs> uh, but I think the human story, whether you're a pastor, whether you are a mom, whether you are a student, whether you're a business owner, I love that concept of the mega desire because all of us would have a mega desire yeah. uh, that is in competition. And the, the difficulty is they're not bad things. Well, And that's the that's the point, being right? Being a parent's not a bad, it's a good thing, it's a godly thing. Well, sometimes that's, it's a good... Being admit, all these things are good <laughs> things. It's, it's how we treat them. And if they become competition with Jesus for our heart yep. and our desire, then it messes you up. Okay, so let me jump back into a previous conversation. So now we're talking about priorities. Yeah. So priorities are okay over here, but they're not okay over here. So for someone who's wired in terms of, I've got to put everything in a box to work this out, yeah. it's okay to have... So right just in that statement you just made, Christ has to be first. Everything else comes after that. No, what I meant was that Christ is your priority. He is your mega desire, and that's what you worship. Anything that replaces Christ or adds to Christ is basically idolatry. Uh -huh. I'm worshiping something else, and it could be really good. I am worshiping my marriage because my marriage is what I desire and thrive on. So if you're a husband and you thrive on the affirmation you get from your wife, and you that's a mega desire. That brings you meaning more than Christ. You can be a Christian, but that really matters. And then your wife stops doing that. Your world completely falls apart. Yeah. You end up in a divorce sometimes yep. because that has become idolatry. I am worshiping that affirmation I get from my spouse, not Christ. And yep. I've, not, I've not allowed the desire of Christ to overtake that desire and shape what could be a really wonderful relationship. So in your journey, when you identified that as one of the things that would rob you of joy— practically what have you done to as a habit and as a normal yeah make him your mega desire yeah. there's a couple of things that are important uh, one is i gave permission to specific friends to watch my life and if my life in any way exhibit exhibited this idolatry of something good slap me tell me about it now that's a that that demands a certain intimacy and friendship but i gave i gave permission to specific friends one of course with my spouse but that that was one thing you cannot think that you can be self-aware to that degree on your own 
the enemy's way too pervasive and we are just way too human that you've got to have other people speaking into you that way second thing i do is i i i begin habits of joy i begin to have habits of joy so that i would try to live each day with the habit of joy and that happens through gratitude yep you've you, you've got to begin the discipline of gratitude you got to see gratitude as god's best gift for you the ability that he gave us the gift of gratitude it's not just a response, it's how we approach. So there is an intentionality around how I choose to do life. Surprisingly for me, the spiritual disciplines were not a major factor. Of course, I read my Bible. Except I fasting. Except fasting. That was huge. <laughs> they were not a major thing. It was, it was the intentionality around gratitude. It was having other people speak into me. And then honestly, um, because my idolatry was ministry, yep. I was able to really navigate that i'd go into a speaking opportunity or i'd go into something being aware of that yep usually before i'd get up to preach at a conference with two thousand people i would say god please don't let my pride stop me stop you from working through me yep keep me humble and you know i was just me and jesus had a lot of conversations about it yeah so you have those kinds of practices and it is a lifelong journey what yep. did we say we didn't write it down discipleship it's a lifelong journey to something or something come on mate i don't know sorry well, um, you, you know what's really refreshing, I think, and this is uh, when, when we started this conversation, we talked about through the right definition of what it is, we feel it's a God thumbprint for this time and this age mm. in terms of a focus on discipleship. I think what's really refreshing is we're all in it together. Whether you've been following Christ 50 years mm. or whether you've been in it one year, uh, we're all in. We're all on this individual pursuit. So, if a disciple is following Christ, then discipleship—if we look at it through the lens of Jesus and his disciples—it's finding a rabbi or an individual to help you discover how to live a life connected with God. That's what, that's what, when you read the Bible, it'd be very easy to come to that conclusion. That's yeah. what discipleship is. Yeah. We, what does it look like today? I think uh, today it may not be just one person. It may be more of a group. Who are the individuals? Who are your spiritual friends yep. that you are journeying with? And the way the Bible talks about the body, there's a head, Jesus Christ, and then we're all just body parts. So who are the body parts that you're working with, that you're journeying with, where you have these levels of transparency and frustration? And so you can say, okay, there's these five guys or there's these three people. I don't think it's so much a one-to-one -one kind of who's my guru that will lead me. Undoubtedly, it's always great to have a couple of spiritual, uh, more mature people in sexual, but I think it's more who's your cluster of friends and are they really spiritual friends? And, that, and and are you investing in the relationship that way? I also think, you know, you had mentioned the generational piece. There's no doubt that the practices you engage in when you are in your 20s will set the course for your life in such an easier way as a Christ follower than if you wait till you're in your 40s. Unpack that for us. What it you know, if you learn good habits when you're in your 20s, uh -huh. they'll carry you. Yes. If you wait till you're in your 40s to learn those good habits, not only do you have 20 years of hardship, but it's just a lot harder. When I was in my 20s, it was easy for me to go to the gym and get fit. Now, now you're in your I 40s? If I wanted to get fit now, it would take a lot more work because I've got so much previous baggage. So my, my encouragement is, man, if you're listening to this and you're in your 20s or early 30s, 
don't mess around with this. Because the tendency is to say when you're younger, I can do it later. Yep. Everything can be done later because I've got a whole life ahead of me. Yep. And then when you get in your 60s, you're going, oh, I only have 10 more years left. I better get my act together with God. And it's a really bad approach to living. Yep. When you're in your 20s going, if I get it right now, it'll make the rest of my life really flourish. Yep. Don't postpone this because not because you're going to get hit by a bus, but because this is the design for life. So it, it becomes a really important principle for younger people to realize, get this stuff right now. Because yep. if you don't get it right now, it's going to be a lot harder to get it right when you're in your 40s. So if I'm in my 40s and I have this moment, yeah. just suck it up and push through. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, you do engage in that journey for sure. You, yeah, yep. you're going to, okay, I'm going to figure this out. But we have to be honest about this. Yes. It's going to be harder. You've yep. got 20 years of history. God's grace is there. Yep. God's spirit is there. Um, but it will it was it is normally harder for a 42 year old to begin to follow Christ according to this pattern than a 22 year old. Yep. It's just yeah, it's harder. Yep. Yeah. You you have often described some of the elements of a uh, a discipleship community, if you like. I've got my group of friends yeah. who are helping me follow Christ, and I'm helping them. Yeah. And, yeah. and and you've 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 made this statement that a discipleship community consists of spiritual friends. Yeah having sacred encounters for a kingdom purpose. Yeah. So there's those three elements. Yeah. A lot of my friends, and this may be stereotypical to say it's probably more a male thing than a female thing. I think males are great at having mates, but to have those spiritual friends and the sacred moment piece, <laughs> how do we, how do we, because I get what I get, I get the sacred moment piece, and I love those moments. But if your personality is is not that, yeah. talk to me. I, I again, it goes back to the definition. Uh, sacred moments are just you walk away, having gone bowling with six guys, and just go, "Wow, that was kind of special. That was fun." So, do you there have to have these deep moments to have a sacred moment? You do not have to wear a white gown. You do not have to take communion. You do not have to have these deep moments. But if you have friendships that when you get together and you're bowling and you just go, that was really cool, then you will have other deeper moments. If you don't have those moments where Jesus is a part of the rugby match or the bowling, then it's much harder to have those deeper moments. The yes. deeper moments become normal. I think we do have to define this right. Spiritual friends are just friends where you share Jesus. Uh -huh. It's just that. You just share. It's, it's hard for me to talk about life and not bring up some of the important things that are important to me. Uh -huh. So I talk about my kids or I talk about my wife because they're important to me. Uh -huh. So you have spiritual friends. All you do is you just share Jesus together. Sacred moments are not only do you talk about Jesus, but Jesus is actually present. Just in some unusual way, just you just know you just, you may his his may never be mentioned. You may never you just know. There's just wow, that was so. Let, cool. So let me push into that moment. Yeah. I'm bowling. Yeah. There's a group of mates that I have. That they're my they are my spiritual friends. Yeah. That we have a common pursuit of him. Yeah. But we're lacking this. Okay, Jesus, Jesus is here. Yeah in the midst of whatever, yeah. and I want to shift, what does that look like? You ask them a question, hey, when was the last time you had a prayer answered? Brilliant. Or you just bring up something that the Lord has done. Yep. You just raise a topic of discussion 
that brings Jesus into the friendship. It's not overwhelming and it's not daunting. It's just, you know, somebody shares a struggle and you go, guys, hey, before we throw another gutter ball, let's just take five seconds and pray. And you say a prayer for that guy's struggle and then you go on, you know. So you're just finding ways to weave Jesus into the fabric of your friendships. And out of that will come that third piece, the kingdom purpose piece. That really comes out of the guy going home to his wife with a different attitude as a godly husband because when he was bowling with his mates, they had a conversation around it. And, and it begins to take a life on of its own, right, in terms of that whole side of the friendship. Absolutely. So you've been journeying with life for 20 years, as we said. You and I have probably connected for the last 15 since yeah. I've been here. The last 10 we've developed what I would call, as a, in my interpretation, uh, a very uh, a significant friendship in my world. Yeah. And every time you come here, we find ourselves going out for dinner or something, and inevitably we go from talking about how's your Jeep and how's your life and yeah. how's your t and there's these God moments yeah. that you walk away with, yeah. and and you can't prepare for that. You just have to be open for it, right? Yeah. You just have to allow what's going on in you yeah. to be part of the fabric of the conversation. And you're right. You can't prepare for it, but you can be intentional. You know, you don't yes. box God into Sunday morning for an hour or Wednesday night or your 15-minute devotional in the morning. Don't box God. But there can be an intentionality. Yep. You know, there can be an intentionality where you just have this, Lord, if there's something you want to do over dinner, just nudge me so I'm aware of it. And that's it, you know. So there, I think uh, organic doesn't have to be random. Organic can be intentional. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there is an intent. I'm committed to our friendship being spiritual and not just cool. Yep. And so I'm going to be intentional around that without having to have communion every time we go to dinner. You've got to relax. Christians um, are just way too uptight. And I think that's that's the piece. This this whole commitment to being a disciple, doing it in such a way that is freeing rather than another weight that I take on, another... Yeah pressure come to me all of you who are heavy burdened right and weary and i will give you rest we think of discipleship as this Ooh, i am joining the elite forces of the army of god i've got to get all really geared up for this come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and out now it doesn't mean you pick up you don't pick up a cross it doesn't mean that there aren't challenges and sacrifices for sure but the approach towards it is god has given me a life to live my wife says her job description is to follow me around and apologize. That's and she, probably accurate. <laughs> and she she says that, and it's probably appropriate too, yeah, because she says that because, you know, I do have a more free approach towards life. And sometimes I need to be wiser and more tactful. But at the same time, I, I'm not going to live my life always guarded by, am I looking Christianish? Yep. No, I'm I'm free. I can I can say and live as I want in a way that honors and glorifies God for yep. sure. And we, I think we just need to lighten up a little bit. So a glimpse into Joel's world. What does a daily come to me look like for you? Is it is it a moment? Is it just this constant awareness? Yeah. Is it is it? I treat life seasonally, so I get bored quickly. So if I have one kind of spiritual discipline, 
I'll get bored with it if it lasts more than three months. So I go through seasons. So for example, this year in 2023, I decided every month I was going to take a spiritual practice and kind of focus on it. So January was the Sabbath. This February is prayer. Believe it or not, March it will be and has been on uh, fasting. So I take that and I just kind of work it through in that way. What are you going to do in March? Like 30 days of no food or what's, what does fasting look like for you in March? I'll figure it out February 28th. Okay. Good. Um, so one day at a time. Uh, but but I, I do that. So I'm highly intentional in living a life of freedom in Christ because I also know myself. And if I'm not intentional, then I'll just get lazy. So I'm highly intentional. So I, every morning, you know, the Bible oftentimes talks about being with the Lord morning and evening. Mm -hmm. So I've created that as a lifestyle habit. Morning and evening, praying and reading my Bible, evening, praying. I take time in the middle of the day when I have lunch to pray the Psalms. So I'm very intentional. So I could never pray sitting down for more than 20 minutes. But I pray an hour every day because it's three 20-minute segments. Yep. That works for my rhythm. I could pretend to be really religious and see what a devout Christian I am. I pray three hours every morning, but I'd be lying. It wouldn't be accurate in a sense. So I'm highly intentional, and I think what's important for everybody is you've got to know the rhythm of your life, and then you have to be highly intentional. But you've got to be aware of your first temptation is going to be, this will prove that I'm truly a disciple. And when you have that thought, man, you've got to take it captive. Because you don't prove anything. It's got to be genuine. How does this help me to be in the presence of Jesus? Yep. And it's just me and Jesus. And so I think the intentionality of the practices during the day are really important. And then the other one for me is the relationships. Every time I'm going into a meeting, going into the grocery store, it's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to meet people. I want to represent you well. Yep. I really want to represent you well. Help me to do that. So you go into the grocery store, you don't represent him well. How? What's What's the mechanism? It depends what's the... on the person in line in front of me. But go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what What's the process? What's the What's the Joel yeah. secret to walking out of there, learning the lesson, yeah. leaving it behind you, and not letting that follow so, you? So the early church fathers had this practice. They called it the prayer of examine. And every night, when I pray every night, usually I'm laying in bed, and I'll take like 20 minutes, and you reflect over the day. And there's basically the two Gs that I use, grace and good, grateful. So I'll be grateful for everything that was that day. And then I'll look at the day and ask God for grace, where I didn't quite do as well. And every day there's something. I've never lived the 24-hour period when I've done as perfectly as I would have liked to. So every day, so if I go into the grocery store, and I'm just, you know, not very gracious with somebody, or even if I'm just quiet, and I could have said something that evening when I'm walking through the day in my mind as this prayer of examine, I'll go, God, give me some grace and help me learn from that, that next time I'm in the grocery store, I can do that. So I do a daily reflection through that prayer of examine. And I think that's, that's so freeing for people to realize you don't have to live under guilt and shame. Like it's the, yeah. as the, as the, desire every day is I want to be a Christ follower. I want to represent you well. Uh, and this probably comes back to that uh, that discussion point around we see this radical conversions. To be honest with you, mine wasn't radical. Well, I, I made a decision and I've had 25 years of... I think that's why Jesus teaches the cross has got to be at the centrality of discipleship because the cross took me from death to life and eliminated all guilt and shame. Now I can follow Jesus 
and I'm going to progress, but I'm not going to be perfect. But guilt and shame, it's been dealt with. My sin's been dealt with. Yep. I'm no longer dead. I'm now alive. So that's why the cross is centrality. If I follow Jesus without the cross, then I'm going to deal with guilt and shame. Yep. And I think that becomes really, because think about it. If we think about following Jesus just out of improving my life, Jesus didn't need to die to improve your marriage. He didn't need to die to tell you how to handle your money. He didn't need to die to have you better values for better morality. Yep. He needed to die because you were dead. And he needed to bring you to life. So he died and resurrected. That deals with all the guilt, all the shame, all the sin. Now I am free to follow him. And that's why we take communion, and that's why the cross is the centrality and the starting point of discipleship. Because the enemy will try to convince you, if you're really becoming a follower of Christ, that you really don't qualify. And there will be a spiritual battle to it. So the the qualify piece then, in a world where so much is influenced by social media, by people curating their lives, by mm. people putting forward the image they want other people to see. Um, let, let me ask you this question. In your own journey, well, are, you a, are you a big social media user? No. I, know, I have no problem with it. But no. I know you have people in your world, though, who yeah. make living off social media. Correct. So that's their whole world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think social media and that whole phenomenon, yeah. which has is, which is overtaken our world in yeah. such a short period of time, has that helped us in our pursuit of discipleship? Yeah. Or is it a hindrance in our pursuit of discipleship? It's a complicated question. Fortunately, social media has been around long enough that they can actually do psychological, sociological studies over it, and that are not necessarily faith-based. There are huge benefits to social media, without a doubt, and we know those practical benefits. But studies are showing that there is one huge detriment, and the huge detriment is not individual, it's community. So the more we diversify our community through social media, the more virtual our connections become, the more they wound and damage our soul. And so the biggest danger of social media is it stops you from truly engaging in intimate, transparent relationships that are non-virtual. It really, I don't need to be around six friends because I've got 200 friends and I'm following their lives and they're following my life. But that virtual dimension of relationship actually destroys my ability to have genuine non-virtual community with individuals. So I think the biggest detriment to social media in discipleship is we're meant to journey together. Social media is a really unhealthy definition of journeying together when it comes to following Christ. So that that speaks to the me and my spiritual friends piece. How about the impact of social media when it comes to me and Jesus piece? So is there a correlation between I struggle with real life friendships because I've got this virtual habit, then I take it into my relationship with Christ. What What is that? Yeah, you know, I may not be the best person to ask because I'm skewed because of my world. Many people that I know, and I know lots of different people in lots of different generations, most of them as Christians, uh, social media is not this horrifically detrimental, I only care about posting an image out there. You know, they're just using it for friends. They're mm -hmm. using it because they're bored and they scroll through while they're waiting at the doctor's office. Mm -hmm. But there's this subtle influence about what do I look like. 
and that's a subtle influence that comes. I think on the flip side, one of the best ways you can use social media is our tendency as Christians is to struggle with being public in our witness. It's just hard. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to say, I believe in Jesus, do you? To the man next door. It's, that's a hard call. Social media gives you the opportunity to put your toe in the water. Yep. What an amazing day God has made today is kind of a first step in that way. And I would encourage people, if, if, if you are on this journey of being a disciple, part of that is representing Jesus to the world. And if you use social media, use that as your tool to get you started if it's just really hard to do it in a non-virtual way. Yep. Change attacked uh, as we kind of bring this to a close. Jesus said, come follow me. And then the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. If I have a relationship with Jesus, whether I've been following him for a month or multiple decades, can anyone have the ability to disciple someone else? That's a great question. My quick answer is yes, because there are different dimensions of discipleship. So I get saved last week. I'm at the restaurant, and I tell the waitress, hey, I go to this church down the street. You should come at 10 o'clock. It's an invitation. It's just an invitation. Doesn't need a lot of theology, doesn't need a lot of correct understanding. It's an invitation, but it's a form of discipleship. I'm inviting her, hoping the Holy Spirit uses it, to attend a church service where she may encounter the presence of God in a more dramatic way. So I think the idea has to be yes, because otherwise we are going to go, well, then you have to have certain qualifications to be used by the Lord. Realistically, however, it's hard to share with somebody something you don't yet know. So if, you're, if you don't know the Bible, don't teach the Bible. Learn the Bible, and as you learn it, share it in your life. But you can always share your life. So that, yes, there are ways you can, as a brand new believer, and then, you know, I guess the flip side of this, too, is somebody who's been saved for a week may know Jesus better than somebody who's been saved for 30 years. All right. Because for 30 years, they have lived in a pharisaical church. Yes. And their ingrained habits are so toxic. So even though they're born again, i.e. when they die, they go to heaven, boy, they're really a bad influence because they have, and there needs to be a whole regeneration that goes on there. So I think we have to be really careful and just land on the yes, everybody who is a follower of Christ can be a disciple maker. It'll just happen at different levels and different dimensions and different spheres as you grow in the grace of Jesus. So final question then, is discipleship the ability to teach someone or influence someone? Yeah, I don't know if I would use either of those words, but if I had to choose one, I would definitely use influence. Discipleship is not a gift. It's a call. Teaching is a gift. Serving is a gift. Discipleship is a call. So it's a call for me to just be transparent with my life, which means I'm going to show Jesus to the people around me, and I'm going to use life to grow closer to Jesus. Which I, you made a statement early on uh, in our journey of this here at Life. Um, and some of it, one of the big struggles that some of our team had, uh, and I, I probably fell into this early days, was if you've been in church a while, then you would hold yourself to a standard that I can only disciple someone if I've got something to give. So therefore, if zero is I'm a brand new Christian and 10 is, I know the word backwards, I can quote every scripture, yeah. or I've, my spiritual disciplines are down pat, then I have to be like a six or a seven to be able to help yeah. someone along their journey. 
but your I loved your your comeback to that was yeah cool you can be a ten but look around the corner because Jesus's scale goes to five million <laughs> yeah. so whether you're a two or an eight on yeah. the scale of Jesus it, you're really not and and there are many stories of people who came to Christ because a non-believer said something to them and moved them to a place a non-believer you know had an influence on them. Well, they went, oh, wow. You know, I remember a story of a friend of mine who was in a grocery store of all places and was having a conversation with a non-believer about just life and petrol price, prices and all this. And the non-believer said, you know, there's just absolutely no hope. There's absolutely no hope for any of this. And this guy went home feeling so hopeless that that drove him to show up in church three days later and he got saved. So God used the comments of a non-believer to bring this person into discipleship. So I think we have to be careful when we tell God how he should work. Is there a difference between a shepherd and a disciple maker? Oh, jeez, really? Yep. I have no idea. Come on, man. Okay, yes, there is. <laughs> a shepherd is usually a phrase. I love that, that is, I have no idea. Okay, yes, here we go. A shepherd is usually a phrase that's used in scripture for a pastoral role. When you are a, a disciple maker, when you're discipling, you are not called to be a pastoral role. You don't have to do marriage counseling. And you have to fix all their problems. You are there to show Christ to them. Whereas a shepherd is more of a, a, a serious pastoral care kind of metaphor, I would think. Yep. Yeah. Because that, that does help people because people go, I, feel, I don't feel qualified to be a discipler. I don't feel qualified to counsel these people. You're not called to counsel people. Just show them Jesus and help nudge them towards Jesus. Whereas a shepherd, then, yeah, then there are some giftings and qualifications that yeah. are probably there. Well, I love this conversation because I think what I've, what I've really got out of it is I think the two things are, man, just bring joy back. Just enjoy your Christ walk. Just enjoy your following Jesus. And then live transparent and open. God, use my life, use my journey to help someone else, nudge someone else, encourage someone else inspire someone else to follow Jesus in their own way. Annie Dillard said one time, how we live our days is how we live our lives. And if you can make a decision, how am I going to live my day? That's probably going to turn into how you live your life. So I live my day, okay, three times a day I pray. I live my day, when I go into the grocery store, I have this short prayer, Lord, help me reflect you well. How I live my day will be how I live my life. What a, what a powerful thought, because I think, people try and plan too much at three five ten year plans here's my goals just worry about today yeah follow jesus today yeah i love it what a great conversation thanks for joining us today my pleasure been amazing i love that statement joel used discipleship is a journey on this side of eternity to where jesus is enough it can be all too easy to complicate what being a christian is and looks like and it's a great reminder that it all comes back to jesus Wherever you are at on your journey, the invitation to draw closer to Him, become like Him, remains the same. Our prayer is that in this conversation, you are reminded again that Jesus puts the call to each of us. Simply, come, follow me. I encourage you, take time today to answer that call afresh and ask God to help guide you closer to Himself. We're so looking forward to bringing you more conversations. So please don't forget to subscribe and we'll catch you again soon.